Thank you, brother. Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate it. Well, good morning. It's fantastic to see you all here this morning. I know, I know, it kind of looks like we have some weird Benjamin Button scenario where Steve has gotten a lot younger looking. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I almost said better looking, then I was like, oh, I don't know, Steve looks pretty darn good. <laughs> no, it is wonderful to be here with you all this morning. Um, I know that Steve has been an amazing pastor to you all because he's been an amazing pastor and mentor to me in just the last few weeks. Uh, so kind, so loving, so prayerful, and has just poured into me uh, in such a short amount of space and time with, with hardly knowing me. And I am uh, just so thankful for that. And so I know over the past decade that he has loved and healed and done wonderful and amazing things for you all. So thank you for allowing me to be here and step in this morning. I want to start by um, just reading scripture. We're going to work through it together and think about it and hear what God's spoken to us. But um, the church is often, I think, it's easy to get away from this practice of reading and hearing scripture. But that's our calling. That's our work, is to allow our hearts and our minds and our imaginations to be shaped and transformed by God's word. And I can, I can uh, try and help explain it. I can maybe, uh, probably not do that great at trying to illustrate it. Uh, but it's really the word of God that shapes our hearts and shapes our minds and changes how we live and see the world. So as we read scripture together this morning, uh, for some of you it may be easier to close your eyes and just try and be shaped by it. It may be easier for you to follow along. Uh, but I just ask that Together, we're open and receptive to how God might shape who we are and who the church is through the reading of God's word. This morning, we'll read together from the book and letter of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, only by the will of God, write to you, the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in our King Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us together for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, putting alone to the good pleasure of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely bestowed upon us in the beloved Jesus. And so in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which again he has lavished upon us. With all wisdom and insight, God has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his own purpose that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. 
And so in Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. So that you, who were the first to hope in Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Christ, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This Spirit is the sign and guarantee of our inheritance until God reclaims and frees the people who are his special possession, all to the praise of his glory. Let us pray together. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we pray now that you let your word wash over us. Shape our hearts and our lives and our actions all in response to the joyous gift of grace that you have poured upon us and peace that you allow and call us to enact. Holy God, we thank you for this chance to gather and worship you. And now, please open our hearts and mind to what your spirit might say in and through your word. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so it's, um, it's a long piece of text, as you all just saw. I was about halfway through it, and I was like, man, I'm only halfway through. <laughs> uh, and it keeps on moving. In fact, uh, in, in English, we've split it up into uh, four or five sentences. But in Greek, it's all one cascading sentence full of adjectives and verbs and ways of describing what God has done for us. It's a beautiful way to open a letter Though in many ways, a strange one. But Ephesians itself is a strange letter of Paul's. Most of Paul's letters are written to specific churches in specific situations. Facing questions of right belief or practice and how we should act towards one another and towards the world. In each of his letters, the letters to the church in Galatia or the letters to, his letter to the church in Rome or the, churches, uh, the church in Corinth, each of his letters addresses a specific audience with specific instructions and commands and, and concerns and prayers as he speaks to them where they are. But Ephesians is different. And we're given a few hints of this, in fact. Uh, the opening of this letter is very formal. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an important opening. It begins to set the stage for what Paul will discuss in the rest of Ephesians. But it's strange because throughout Ephesians Paul acts like he doesn't really know the church in Ephesus. In fact, in verse 15, he even says, I've heard of your faith. And so let me tell you this. But for those of us who've read Acts, we know that Paul spent three years in Ephesus, building and creating a church from the Jews and Gentiles who lived there. And so, if you've just read Acts and you come to Ephesians, you might be like, why is Paul acting like he doesn't know these people? But in fact, the letter of Ephesians serves a special purpose 
in Paul's writings in Corpus. And some of the earliest manuscripts of our, our earliest copies we have of the letter to Ephesians show this because they don't include the words to those in Ephesus. The earliest copies we have of this uh, epistle just say to the saints and those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And if you take that along with the fact that Paul never actually addresses the, the saints in Ephesus or their problems directly, all these hints point towards a, a new and special purpose for Ephesians. And it seems to have been very much uh, a circular letter or a circular written not just to one specific church, but to many churches in Asia Minor. Very likely the congregation in Ephesus, but also those in Colossae and in Laodicea. All of these churches that we hear about in, in John's letter, in the letters in the book of Revelation. Paul seems to write near the end of his life this letter to address what the whole church, the church universal, should look like. If each of Paul's other letters is, is it's almost like, um, what's the best picture for this? Have any of you ever been in a larger city? I think of New York City, um, or maybe even a city like, like London or Orlando or Atlanta, you can get caught up in the details down on the streets. You might have a map of New York, but you're really paying attention to one specific segment, right? Where you're at on 110th uh, Street, trying to figure out, wait, is this, am I, am I supposed to be going west or north? Which way is west and north, by the way? What, who decided to build a city on blocks? You can get caught up in the, and each of Paul's letters is like that. He's always referencing a specific situation on the ground that, that a group, a church, a body of Christians is struggling with. But in Ephesians, it's as if Paul moves from the, the work and the energy and, and the questions that face us in a particular square on the, on the street up to the Empire State Building. And here Paul surveys what the church should look like in the world. What the church universal is called to be in response to what God has done for us in Jesus and what that means for how we live our lives day to day. And so that's why I started uh, today with Ephesians. In many ways, it is the, uh, it's been called the crown jewel of Paul's letters, the greatest and maturest of Paul's works. It's often a book that's with these flowing phrases and words compared to music, uh, theology and practice and ways of life woven together in a letter. And if Paul wrote it near the end of his life, then he's writing it uh, to a church set within a post-Augustine Roman society. And, and I think the simplest way to say that is a society very much like ours, a society characterized by social disintegration. Argument and hatred and human selfishness. And so I can't think of a more appropriate letter written now to us, the church, a book that promises unity despite our world's disunity, 
a book that speaks of and promises reconciliation rather than alienation or the setting up of walls. It's a book that speaks to God's desire for peace instead of war. In fact, grace and peace, right there in verse 2, frame the entire book of Ephesians. The book speaks to over and over again how God has poured out undeserved and unimaginable grace upon us and how God calls us then to take that grace and create and live in Christ-like peace. Now, um, I've already told you Ephesians is strange, so just be prepared to go along with me on that. Not only does Paul uh, write what seems to be the only of his letters that's specifically meant to address the entire church as this almost uh, circular letter, but he begins it in a strange way too. Most of his letters, after he introduces himself, begin with a prayer for the audience that he addresses. A powerful way to begin a sermon, right? By praying for the people that you address. He gives thanks for the churches that he's writing to. He prays about how God has used them in mighty and powerful ways, and he uses the prayer as a way to get into what they might change, what God's calling them to do differently. But here, Paul doesn't start the book of Ephesians with a prayer about the church or the church in Ephesus. That'll come later in verse 15. Paul starts Ephesians with a Jewish prayer, uh, a prayer of blessing. And it's not a blessing of the church that he's writing to as much as it is a blessing of our awesome and amazing God. Paul opens the book of Ephesians with a prayer of thanks for God and God's work. It's this, in the way that it kind of cascades out of Paul's mouth and, you know, a little bit more uh, herky-jerky out of mine, it's, it's setting the stage for the whole letter. It's almost like the overture to an opera or, or the themes that you hear at the beginning of a musical play. Setting the tone for what we can expect to hear again and again throughout this letter. For what we can expect Paul to work into us as the church and the people of God. It's this overture of praise and thanks and powerfully blessing from Paul to God. It, it falls out of his mouth in one long sentence because Paul can't stop speaking about all the amazing, grace-filled things that God has done for us in Jesus. And opening the letter with this prayer of thanks, it sets the tone for our worship and for our reading of Scripture. Paul seeks to remind us the audience, who we are, who God is, and so he prepares us to be receptive to what God demands of his church throughout the rest of this letter. So verse 3, really, uh, in many ways, and Paul's the master of doing this, sets a tone that the rest of the verses in 4 through 14 then follow. The content of this 
prayer of thanksgiving is all laid out and compacted in verse 3. Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he has blessed us so much more than we can ever bless him. And the rest of these 12 verses unpack all the multifaceted ways that God has blessed the world and his people within the world. Paul goes ahead and sets up right here in the beginning, as he'll then do again as we move through verses 1 through 14. And our God is a Trinitarian God. God the Father has blessed us in and through Christ with blessings of the Holy Spirit. He's always sketching his theology and his beliefs as a way to shape our lives and our practices. And one of the most exciting things to me is this weird little uh, aside right at the end, right? He's blessed us in Christ with every blessing of the Spirit in the heavenly places. What? Where are the heavenly places? What do you mean by that, Paul? What are you talking about? It's a strange aside uh, and many of us just kind of keep on moving, like, oh yeah, spirit, heaven, all that great stuff. whoop de doo fun. But Paul is speaking this, this awesome truth here. God blesses us in Jesus, through the Spirit, and in doing so, God is remaking creation. Paul is amazed that in each and every one of us who profess Christ, in the church that celebrates and stands as a signpost that God's recreating the world, heaven and earth overlap as they were created to. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and humans and our selfishness drove God away. And God and Jesus the most beautiful example of heaven and earth overlapping that I could imagine. How are we doing now, Mr. Bob? Ah, there we go. Good, now I don't have to yell at you all. 
though I grew up with a lot of brothers and sisters. I am pretty proficient in yelling. I'll, I'll try and hold it back. Try and hold it back. Verses, uh, verse 4, we jump into the story of how God has blessed us, how God has poured out grace upon us, and why we owe God our thanks in our lives. Paul starts in the past. And friends, when I say the past, I mean the past, the past. Paul doesn't just go back to Genesis 1-1. Paul goes back before Genesis to say that God chose us before the foundation of the world. Paul steps as far back as he can imagine and then goes farther and says, God chose us before the foundation of the world. You owe your all to God. And God's work in your life, God's work in this world, God's work in Christ was set up and begun before anything that you or I did. It's a beautiful sentiment and it promises the church security and awe knowing that God is working for us. But, Paul goes on, right, to kind of unpack this. He chose us before the foundation of the world in Christ. That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. You start hearing all these words, I was chosen, predestined. And it would be quick and easy to say, yeah, God chose me. Pretty awesome, aren't I? God knows I make some good deviled eggs. He wanted me in the church. That's how you bless your ministers, folks. Good deviled eggs. But Paul, Paul uh, is always working to keep us decentered. Did God choose us of God's own free will, of God's own love? Amen. Yes, but God chose us in Christ. The church, our salvation, it's all God's Choosing God's preordaining, God's planning ahead of time to work and hold all things together in Christ. We are chosen as children through Christ. So the church, as the people of God, the avenue of God's saving and recreating the world, the church was set apart, chosen, and worked out by God in Christ before we had any place on the scene. And why, my friends? So that we might be holy and blameless in love before him. You see, God chose us in love, in God's own will, for a purpose. God chose to work and be in relationship with us in Christ, to adopt us as God's children so that we might be holy and blameless in love to the praise of his glorious grace, verse 6 ends. Paul seeks to show God's love, to show the church that, that we can rely fully and completely on a God who reaches out to us and works in and through us, but there's a purpose to our security in God. 
And it's so that we might show his glory and praise his grace in the world. We're to be holy and blameless. But Paul, here, just as he does in Romans and in Corinthians, when he talks about how we should live, when he talks about what it means to be holy and blameless, he characterizes it by love. What does it mean to be holy and blameless in Christ? Well, I can tell you, friends, it has something to do with love. He reminds us why we should be thankful here at the beginning so that he can begin to direct us towards how we should then live. A life characterized by the love of Christ. But you see, Paul did, God didn't just do things for us in the past. Paul moves forward and speaks about our present, our current state. There are other reasons you should be thankful, friends. You should be thankful ultimately because Jesus Christ redeems us through his blood. We can proclaim as those who profess faith in Christ that we are forgiven and redeemed, reconciled to God through the blood and love of Jesus. That's who we are now. Paul brings us from that story of God's work and planning and pursuit of us in the past to what it's resulted in for us now. You, my friends, are forgiven and redeemed by the blood of God. Jesus' death on the cross, his shedding of his blood, is at the core of why we should be thankful to God and bless God as Paul does here. This this redemption, this forgiveness, it's, it's a second and a true exodus. Just as God led the people of Israel from Egypt and the power of Pharaoh in the past, Jesus leads all humanity out of the oppressive and, and broken and bent powers of sin and of death and leads us towards new creation in Christ. And that's where Paul keeps going. He doesn't stop. He doesn't lose momentum. In verses 8 and 9 and 10, he looks towards both our present and our future, how God is continuing to work in this story, in this long line. In all wisdom and insight, God has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ Jesus as a plan for the fullness of of all time, right? That's Paul looking to the future. A plan to unite all things in Christ. Things on heaven and things on earth. Paul says this is God's mystery. That God now in and through redeeming us and forgiving us, that God now in and through his church, in and through Jesus is uniting all things in Christ. And not just, not just me and you, friends, all things in heaven and on earth. God is drawing heaven and earth back together. As Paul says in Romans 8, the, the church, the redemption, and the, the sign and witness of the children of God 
loosens the bonds of creation, the bonds of sin and destruction that we placed upon it. God is knitting creation back together in Christ. It's a mystery. But the coolest thing about Paul's stopping here in the midst of this praise to speak about the mystery that God has revealed to us is that in the ancient world, in the Greco-Roman world, mystery meant a lot of things, and it usually didn't mean things that are revealed. In the Greek and Roman world, there were mystery religions that were extremely popular. Create, uh, what's that thing? Competed, that's the word I'm looking for, with Christianity, in fact. Religions were in which you had to come in as an acolyte and, and participate from the outside before you were invited in to the secret ritual that introduced you to the god Isis or otherwise. There were religions about that rose up among the early Christians about secret knowledge, knowing that one true thing that liberates you for real. Paul says God's work is so above us that it's mysterious, but God in his grace has revealed it to us. And that revelation isn't just for you and me, church. It's a revelation that Paul makes clear is meant to be proclaimed, preached, spoken, and lived to the world. The truth, the mystery that God is somehow remaking and reuniting the world in Christ should shape how we live and act, what we say and do, and should result in the proclamation of this good news to all people. God, as God often does, takes our common understanding of something like mystery and turns it on his head and says, go and take this beautiful mystery and preach it to everyone and anyone that you meet. I love this part of Paul's prayer because it's this overlapping place. It's true now. We see it here today. We have evidence that God is uniting disparate peoples, broken people with different ideas of different cultures and races and before Christianity, likely religions. And he's binding us together as a body united in Christ. It's a, it's a mystery that's true now, and it also points us to where all things are going in God. It gives us hope, and it gives us a direction to join God in this work. Paul talks about this all over the place, how this, this truth is both accomplished and still happening. In Colossians chapter 1, he says, verse 19, For in Christ... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Christ to reconcile to God's self all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Or later, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul returns to this point when he says, Look, my friends, now in Christ, you who were once so far off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, for he himself is our peace. Christ has made us both one, breaking down in his flesh 
the dividing walls of hostility, abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances so that he might create in himself one new humanity. This mystery is at the core of Paul's theology. And he calls us to join in celebrating Christ for it, but also, as we'll see later in Ephesians, chapters 4 through 6 are all about how you should now live, church. And what Paul's trying to get across to us is that creation itself is changing, being created anew. And guess what? That means we should be changing also. He sets the tone for the instruction that he plans to deliver. Verses 11 through 14 here, finally, uh, Paul, Paul turns to an example of what he's been talking about. He says, he provides us this picture of, of what it means for God to be recreating the world and creating a new humanity, a new people, a new community in the midst of that. What it means, friends, is that there is no longer Jew or Gentile. There is no longer any sense of race or gender or anything that, that stands above our identity in Christ. He says, Paul, as a Jew, in Christ we have obtained an inheritance having been destined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, and here we refers to Paul and his Jewish brothers and sisters, who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And yet in him you also, my friends who aren't Jews, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation, and believed in him, you too were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Our inheritance in Christ is this new creation, this new community that God is working and realizing among us. And again, at the end of this prayer, Paul points to the truth that in the spirit that seals each and every one of us, heaven and earth overlap. God has a place among humanity again in your hearts and your lives when you profess Jesus. You take up your cross and you follow him. So in this opening prayer of thanks and praise, Paul steps back. He looks to God's activity among us back in the past. Before the foundation of the world, God chose us. In Christ. He looks to God's work in the present in redeeming us and forgiving us and uniting a new people in and through Christ. And he looks to the future inheritance and the redemption of God that we and all of creation are promised. In his prayer, in his worship, Paul tells the story of God in Jesus. Paul reminds us in this. That true worship of our God cannot help but tell and retell with joy and wonder and amazement the story of what God has done in Jesus the Messiah. 
And this bigger story that Paul tells again and again throughout his letters, it's so important to him because this larger narrative of God's saving work, of God's love and pursuit of us, this is the narrative that provides a context, a place for each and every one of our own individual stories. Our stories of healing, of salvation, of forgiveness, are all given context by God's saving work. And that means both that we can look to the beautiful history of our God reaching out towards us and saving us, but it also means that we're now part of a story that's going somewhere. We have a part to play in God's narrative of worship and praise of love and recreation. Okay, so let me be as clear as possible. Why the heck does any of this matter? And I'm going to do my best to give you at least three things that I think Paul tries to impress upon us in this prayer of thanksgiving. And the first that sticks out to me is that we as the church, we as those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, we who serve as images of Jesus to the world around us, we need to spend every day reorienting ourselves to the blessed God who redeems and recreates us. As Father of creation, Son who intervenes, and Spirit who enlivens us. It's so easy for us to just walk through our daily lives and forget the importance and power of this kind of prayer that celebrates who God is and falls at God's feet to give thanks. It changes our minds, our perspectives, our paths every day. And so Paul by, by doing it for us, by modeling it for us, calls each and every one of us to pray and reorient ourselves to a God who deserves our thanks and praise every day. <laughs> Secondly, Paul makes it abundantly and utterly clear that our lives as Christians should be characterized by thanks. Thanks in our words, in our worship, in our praise, and thanks in our deeds, our actions, our lives. All of our life, all of what we say and do should be in response to and in praise of God's powerful grace. And friends, in case you missed it, Paul is abundantly clear That Jesus is at the center of God's work. And Jesus is who and what should drive our thanks and praise. Again, in case case you weren't listening, I can understand. I ramble on. Let's just sum it up right here. Here's what Paul says about God's story in this world. The entire prayer is woven in and through with this story of what God has accomplished and will accomplish, and it's all in and through Jesus the Messiah. Verse 3, he's blessed us in this King Jesus. Verse 4, he's chosen us in Christ. 
He's destined us for adoption as God's children through Christ, in verse 5. Chosen us in Christ. Poured grace on us in Christ, in verse 6. Given us forgiveness and redemption in Christ, in verse 7. Set out his plan and purpose in Christ, in verse 9, to unite all things in heaven and on earth in Christ, in verse 10. The inheritance that we have as those sealed by the Spirit is an inheritance in Christ, according to verse 11. And in Christ, he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit as a promise and a foretaste and a sign to what is to come. I didn't add all those in Christ. Paul did. Paul references in Christ, through Christ, in him, through him, 15 times in 14 verses. He's sounding the clearest note I can ever imagine. And it's so easy for us to just move right past it. God's work in and through Christ calls us to be thankful in all that we do and all that we are, to refocus ourselves on what God has done and what that calls us to be. We're to praise God, to tell this story, to proclaim this good news of salvation, God's narrative of work and redemption in the world. This might look like returning our abundant gifts All the things that God's blessed us with to this gracious God to serve his church and his kingdom. It might involve serving and loving our neighbors to try and realize God's grace and peace in a broken world. It definitely means, as Paul will work out in the rest of this book, living for God as a new community. Living as God's new creation. Cultivating grace and peace by pursuing holiness and blamelessness and love towards one another. In this prayer, in this this overview of the story of God's salvation, Paul reminds us, and it's a reminder that's easy to miss, that our salvation in Christ is a beautiful and vital stage in God's story. But it's just a stage. God's story, what you gather here to praise and worship and remember, church, isn't that I'm saved and going to heaven. That truth, Paul tells us, should drive us to chase the direction of this story he's just laid out. It's a story that's still going somewhere. It's a story that we're invited into to work out God's larger purpose of recreating and renewing us and his creation. The story of our creator and savior God is aimed towards Jesus' work to redeem the whole world. The whole universe, the entire cosmos. And it's a story that we now are called to step into. By loving, by serving, by being present, and by proclaiming this good news. Let us pray together, friends. Holy God and creator, Savior, we praise you on our knees. 
for all that you've done for us. We deserve none of the grace and the love that you pour out on us, and we respond with joy and with thanks, and we bless your name. God, we know that we can't bless you enough, and so please, in and through your Spirit, empower us to serve you by going out into this world, by loving our neighbors as you have loved us, by, by working out this story of salvation and recreation in our interactions with others. God, we praise you. And that is a strong enough place for us to stand. In your name we pray. Amen. Friends, as we um, turn towards, again, the praise and worship of our God, let us just think together about what it means to respond in thanks, in joy, to the God who pours out blessings upon us. The Psalms, the Prophets, the Gospels all call us to praise God for his work and then join him in it. That might look different for many of us. It might mean praying and thinking about what our gifts are. How we can serve and proclaim the gospel and kingdom of God. It might look like giving back a part of the blessings that God has poured out on us. Whether that's your money or your time or a space and place to work out the gospel. Now we turn together in a moment to thank God and to seek from God what we can give back to him. What we can give to empower his mission in this local church, in our nation, and in our world. So as we, uh, the choir prepares to lead us in an anthem and to thank and praise God and to search our hearts for how we can give back to God, I want to pray a short prayer with the psalmist who notes all that God has done for us and what that means. This I know, the psalmist says, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I shout towards with joy. In God alone we trust. And so I shall not be afraid. For what can the world do to me? And so I perform my promises and vows to you, O God. Let us render and give offerings of thanks to you. Because you have delivered my soul from death, yet you have kept my feet from failing. All so that I might walk before you, God, in the light of life and truth. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, choir.
And as we shout our praise and thanks and think about how God might invite us to give back, know that there are multiple ways that you can give to support the ministry and the services of this local church. There are offering plates in the back for those of you who would prefer to give in that way. And for those of you who, like me, uh, haven't carried cash or a check in the last five years, know that you can also give uh, electronically. There's a link on our website for those of you worshiping with us virtually. Uh, you can follow that link. Uh, Christy, you might even be able to drop it into the chat uh, so that you can uh, give that way. I know that's, that's how I tend to give <laughs> these days. Uh, but we thank you for that. Thank you for the chance to praise our God and Savior. And so, as the church, as the body of Christ, Let's practice that now. We are people called to return our praise and our pains to our God and Savior and, and hope and expect that he will answer us. So, for those of you here, those of you uh, worshiping with us virtually, now is a time. Are there any praises or prayer requests that we can bring together and offer before our God? I'm going to walk around. I know this is usually Mike's job, but I need to get to know y'all somehow, right? I would I'd like you to still keep my friend Abel Holguin in Albuquerque in prayer because his uncle is, is improving a little bit, but he still needs a lot of prayers to help to, to get him better. Thank you. Thank you. Abel and Albuquerque and his uncle specifically. Yeah. Amen. We'll do so. Abel, Abel and I have been best friends for 44 years. Oh, that's amazing. That's something to celebrate, isn't it? Yeah. We'll keep him and his uncle in our prayers. Yes, ma'am. I'd like to pass along from Talbot Health Ministries. They want to thank everybody for the donations. of. We were able to donate five sleeping bags Friday and two large bags of medicine bottles. And it might not seem like much to a lot of people, but these are things that are helping the homeless and those less fortunate because they're able to reuse the medicine bottles. They have their own pharmacy and the sleeping mats are keeping the homeless from having to sleep on cold surfaces or the floors. So they asked me to pass that on. Thank you. That's wonderful. Thank you, Ms. Harriet. That's awesome. That's the kind of work that we do together. So let's praise God for enabling us and making us generous enough to, to give back to those around us. Any other praises or prayer requests this morning? This is dangerous. I'm about to pass the microphone over to Sandy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is... That's right. <laughs> This is a praise. I had asked for prayers for my good friend Anita in um, in Dallas. Uh, they did not know how much longer she would be able to make it with Lewy body disease because it can come on so suddenly and take such a rapid change. And I asked for prayers on Sunday, and on Tuesday her caregiver called me, and I about had a heart attack when I saw her name. I thought, I know what's happened. And she said, I got someone who wants to talk to you. And she was chatty and doing great. So prayers are answered. But she still needs plenty more. 
we'll keep praying together about Anita, but thank God for life and every day that he grants it. Um, on our way to church this morning, I don't know any details, but we had to turn around and go a different direction. There was an accident, and the road was totally blocked. So just let's say some prayers that it was nothing life-threatening or anyone injured, but it just kind of concerned me this morning. Yeah. No, thank you so much. This is what we as a church are meant to do, to pray and intercede, seek healing and grace and protection for our community. For the people who live and work around us. Thank you for a wonderful service, by the way. Um, we've been praying for Linda Gibbs for quite a long time now. She was supposed to have surgery. This is terrible. On Friday. But... I think God intervened. I think she needs to heal a little bit more before she goes to the surgery because they canceled it on her. She was having her colon reconnected after serving almost two years going through cancer treatments for the, the rectum. And it kind of busted her bubble because she was all excited about going and having being reconnected together. And... I just ask that people continue to pray, but for her to see the answer that he may have seen that we don't see on why he had to stop it before she had it. And this was on Wednesday, so then, you know, her surgery is supposed to be Friday. And I just feel sorry for her because, not sorry. Um, yeah, I, I'm... I'm disappointed because she was disappointed. No. We will pray together for Linda because that is, it's extremely painful to not know God's plan um, and to have our hopes dashed and crushed. And uh, we need to pray for peace and for healing. And as you said, for God's will and grace to be known in her life because it can be so hard to see past our brokenness. Hey, brother. Good to see you. I wanted to uh, just come this morning. God placed it on my heart to just speak to you from my heart. Is that okay? Um, I want us to, to pray for and love on Pastor Anthony and his wife, Emily. Um, you know, as a, as a pastor, um, you go through a lot. People don't see when you're the shepherd, sometimes you get bruised and you need to be refilled and you need to be recharged because you're putting out a lot. And so I just come to tell y'all today to love on this man and his wife is so important, especially because he's in the ministry. You know, I really feel that the time is running out for the church. You know, the church, our time is running out. And if we were ever to do any work is to do it now. I just got an opportunity to just to be back home. I asked God, why did you send me back to Florida with all the bugs and mosquitoes and what is going on? I mean, the heat. I mean, when I was in Washington, I used to be that color, you see? And then all of a sudden, like, what's going on? I was in an air-conditioned state. And, and um, But he called me here for such a time as this. So just, and I just want you to know, 
Um, last week, was it last week? No, it's just the time is blurry. Okay, so my birthday is on the 15th, and I'm, I'm ripe and early and young. But I'm not going to give you the age. But when I got back home, um, I got a chance to see my grandmother's uh, husband. His name is Bobby. And if you, anybody knew Bobby, every time you see him, he would say, love you, love you, love you. And he would always be singing God's praises. And he would always be sharing like stories about how God is so good and, 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 and just the example of a, of a Christian man. And we were, my birthday was on the 15th. He was going to have service. With a, they were going to come to our service. My grandma and my, 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 um, my whole family, they were coming. They were going to surprise me for my birthday and show up in church. And, and uh, we got the word that he wasn't able to make it. It was like, what? what's going on? What, what happened? They said, well, he had to go to the hospital. But um, they called us back later and said, everything's okay. You know, that he checked out fine. I am working, and, and this is, I have a message that God just gave me this morning, been up since five. It was called the window of opportunity, a window of opportunity. Well, I got a call Friday, said, you need to hurry up and get to Plant City. Um, your grandmother's husband just shot himself in the head. And you talk about somebody, you don't know what people are going through, the depression, the anxiety. I mean, always smile and everything. Nobody would ever know this. But what am I sharing? We have a beautiful opportunity. God has given us this building, this facility, just to bring people from everywhere, from all walks of life. And while we have a chance, church, we got to work for him. And I, and, I, and I just want to come share that with you. I'm so thankful that you answered the call to come here, you guys. And, and God bless you all. We really appreciate you. But um, he's doing something special. And I just wanted you to know that. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Archie. All I'm going to say is that I was so thankful when I met Pastor Archie and realized already the built-in community and support that we share in this place. Um, and that, that should run both ways. Uh, we need to love our, all of our church, all of us who meet here to worship God and spend time together. We need to love and support one another and work with one another. So I'm deeply sorry to hear that, but... Uh, Archie's right that that's what it should drive us to, the brokenness and pain. I always got to say the great news. The great news is I got an opportunity to see cousins that I haven't seen in 23 years. <laughs> and, and it was amazing because now they see a different Archie. They don't yeah. see the, the wild one and the, the crazy one, but he's talking about the Lord. And, and so God's <laughs> doing something. He's, he's planting some seeds there. Amen. So, no, that's, that's exactly what the pain and brokenness of this world should drive us to is pouring love into one another. Thank you. We um, need just a reminder to keep uh, Phyllis and Dwight in our deep prayers. Um, she's coming along, but it is amazing what the two of them are having to go through right now. And she did get word that she's going to have to have treatment after everything settles down. So um, 
just a reminder to keep them in your deep prayers. Thank you. Yeah, we'll continue to pray for Dwight and Phyllis both. That's a, as many of you know, as many of you have spoken to today, that's a long and painful and hard journey. And without one another, uh, it can seem extremely unbearable. Uh, Miss Christie, we have any from those worshiping with us remotely? Uh, Ellen requests prayer for uh, an eight-month-old baby, Ellison Whitmire, for a good result and for improvement on her spine so that when she sees the neurosurgeon on July 1st, that surgery won't be necessary. Oh my goodness, yes, let's pray together for that uh, at such a young age. All right, friends. Well, let us together, and I do mean together, as the body of Christ, lift up these prayers, these pains, and these praises together. Yeah, brother Larry. Well, first of all, Lake Gibson, I have to get used to somebody not being up there teasing me every Sunday. Don't worry, I'll try. (laughs) And I would always wonder who would be able to step up there and feel Pastor Steve's shoes? I, I just couldn't see it. But after hearing this guy talk today, son, I think you do real well, man. Thank you, brother. I do appreciate the love and the kindness that you all show. And it's good that you're setting a, a, a large example for me to fill, because it's going to take some work, but I'm glad that you all are here to work with me towards it. Good morning, Pastor. Good morning, Church. I welcome you to Lake Gibson United Church. But, but, a big but, you cannot feel Pastor Steve's shoes. You might be able to try, but try real hard. Because everybody here, whether they love him or hate him, they love him now. Because they know what they miss. And you'd never love a person until they find out what you're losing. And that's what they lost. So you better try hard. I welcome you and I pray for you. Thank you, sister. Hey, but, buts are important. Buts are some of the most important part in God's word to us and in scripture. But God, and that's all I can hope for is that God will work in and through all of us somehow. Maybe you can't feel, Pastor Steve's shoes, but I think you're walking well in your own. I think you did real well today, and we thank you for that. Thank you. Let us, church, pray together and lift the pains and the praises of our body to Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, We just stand in awe. We stand in awe of the suffering and the pain and the brokenness of our lives and the lives of those we see around us, even those whom we don't know, who we pass by in our cars or on the sidewalk or at the grocery store, God. The world's pain, death's power seems so unsurmountable, But we also stand in awe that you have overcome the grave, God. We pray that you will demonstrate that among us by pouring healing and love, grace and peace into the lives of all of those we gather now to lift up to you. 
Abel and Anita and Linda and all those that we mention, God, we pray that you will show your gospel and show the victory that you've won by conquering pain and death in these people's lives. God, we pray also that you will use us as your hands and your feet to bring that joy and peace and healing that we pray for. Show us, because we are stubborn, how we can help and what we can do to show the love of your Son. In your name we pray together. Amen.